This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. All right, let's stand together. And as we stand, let's remember that we're doing this because this is God's Word. And uh, He is worthy of standing in respect to Proverbs 37 through 9. Two, thing I, two things I ask you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. One thing to remember as we approach this so that we can understand posture is that we have to remember that wisdom is not the same as education. It's not something that you attain more information and you will get more wisdom. Information is obviously a part of it, but that information is dispensed through relationship. Wisdom is a person. It's embodied. Wisdom is personified. And as you see that throughout the book of Proverbs, and then we also see as Christ comes that he embodies wisdom and that he gives us his spirit, the spirit of wisdom. He places wisdom in us. And so as we come before his word, we're coming not just to obtain more knowledge that could puff us, puff us up, but to obtain Christ himself, the relation to understand, to know that what he's given to us is his very words and that we hang on those. We're coming and sitting at his feet and we're wisdom, we're listening to him. Also, it's important to understand that God delivers his word through his people. You see, Pastor Wayne last week spent much time talking about the perspective of how God delivered his word through his people, marginalized people. What we see here is a very rich man, Solomon. A very rich man who is not just giving wisdom, but he's praying for something. He's saying, two things I ask of you, Lord. Now hear me on this, because not only is he praying for this himself, he's wanting his, if you will, his son to hear his prayer and glean wisdom from his example. So he's not just saying, son, you do this. He's praying in front of, so that he won't get the sense that this is something he's preaching to his son, but something he's humbly walking in himself. I feel the weight of this as I stand and preach a message like this because there's a reality to this. It could feel like if you don't know me or if you're not a part of this community and we don't have relationship, it could feel like I'm standing up here and preaching to you about wealth, about riches, about the dangers of money. But the posture I want you to hear and see as I 
sit before you today and sit with you today is this sermon before it is for you is a prayer for me. I'm the most in need of this. And if you could glean from that, and if you could hear Solomon's wisdom in this, that he's praying to the Lord some very key things and wanting his son to overhear, I want you to hear, I'm praying these, I'm preaching this to myself and hoping you would hear. I'm I'm, I'm rich. In a world that we live in, it's hard for someone to explain that because we spend a lot of time comparing ourselves to other people. We spend a lot of time comparing our wealth to other people. So we never fully admit that we are rich because we're not richer than someone else. And the realities to that is is that we look at wealth as a number rather than seeing wealth through the eyes of Scripture. Now listen, if we compared ourselves to the rich in America, we would all, or most of us, say, I'm not rich. But if we in this country compared ourselves to the wealth of the rest of the world, we would have to admit we are a part of the top three to five percentile of wealth in the world. That even those, while we complain about being poor, we sit in front of a television watching cable. While we complain about not having enough clothes, we stand in front of closets filled with clothes. While we complain about not having enough food while we look in a refrigerator with food. The realities is, we, when we compare ourselves to others, will never admit to that. But there are also many in this room, which is why I love being a part of this community, who truly are in poverty. The realities of what it's like to sit in a room like this is I know that many of us are different financial brackets in different places. And when we come into a room like this, I have to be sensitive to that. But I hope that you hear that what this is going to do in many ways is call us to wisdom. Meaning, you are going to have to sit with Jesus at his feet, and hear for him where you are at. And hear wisdom from his spirit and glean something, but it doesn't mean your status or place or situation is the same as mine, but it is the God that we are seeking who is going to speak clearly to us, to me. Look at what this prayer is and this prayer that I would pray. He says, Lord, I ask two things. Keep me from falsehood. I want to know truth. I want to know truth, and I don't, I don't want to lies. And the second thing is don't make me too rich and don't make me too poor. I, 
don't know what time I've prayed that. But give me this day my daily bread. That sounds like another person teaching us to pray. Otherwise, there's two dangers. If I'm too poor, I will dishonor you. Dishonoring is what we most of the time in churches spend all of our time on. Don't dishonor God. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't do sexually immoral things. Don't dishonor God. These are important realities. But as a church, we spend most of our time worried about dishonoring God and rarely, if ever, have I heard sermons about the danger of disowning God. So today, I want to talk about this idea of don't give me too much so that I may not disown you. So that I may not have all that I need and all this wealth and all these riches and I may not say, I don't need you, God. I've got this on my own. I can do this by myself. The problem with the American church is we don't think money is a powerful God. But all of Scripture speaks to money as being very powerful and very seductive. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 6, 24 says, No one, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot Serve God and what? God and money. Isn't it interesting that if we were to say, what's in biggest opposition for our worship? We would go, well, God versus Satan. You can't worship God and Satan. Or you can't worship God in sin. You can't be in sin and worship God. We would oppose God and Satan or God and sin and what Jesus himself uses is money. A verse like this is not meant to scare us from money. And it's not meant to condemn us if we have money, but it's meant to warn us of its power. And it's seduction. I, I, I want to give you kind of a little test just to see. I've, I've done this before. But do you ever feel like having too much money could be dangerous for you? Um. Because when I ask people questions like, hey, uh, let's just sit with a, a married couple, whatever, and you go, how many kids do you want to have? Immediately, they're backpedaling. Uh, none. <laughs> Maybe one. But after that, it's... <laughs> how many kids do you want? None. 
They're too much of a burden. They're too much of a responsibility. I really don't like kids. It's a, it's a problem, right? It's, it's not, it's not going to work. And if I have one, I'll tolerate it. But they, 18, they're gone, right? The way we see children is different than the way Scripture describes them. We just have to admit to that. The way we see children is as a burden and a curse. The way Scripture describes them is as a gift and a blessing. Never do you say, how many kids do you want? And not once have you said, houses full. I would just love houses full of them. <laughs> when I fill up one house, I'm going on to the next one. I'm filling that one up. Matter of fact, people ask me how many kids I have. I go five and they go, oh, dear Lord, do you know how that happens? Uh, yeah, that's why I have five. Maybe you don't know how it happens. How can, I've had these questions. How can you afford that? I can't. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's just only by the grace of God. In this world, in the world we live in, children are a burden. But if I was to sit down with that same family and say, how many raises do you want? Houses full. Just keep bringing them. How much money is too much for you? That's a dumb question. As much as I can get. Give me as much as I can handle. I mean, I, more than I can handle. Pour it out on me. That reality reveals the heart of how we view something like money is purely blessing and we do not see the burden of it. Scripture spends more time speaking of the power and seduction and burden of money than it does of its blessings. And we spend all of our time pursuing going after, wanting houses full, never thinking of, if I get this raise, am I going to be able to steward this? Is this going to cause me to become so content that I disown God? See, the reality of it is that we have adopted and synchronized with American culture so much that we have created for ourselves a God that worships the same thing we do. Money. Rather than a God that does not condemn someone who has Riches just because they have riches and does not condemn someone who is poor just because they are poor. Matter of fact, when you read through scripture, what the beauty of being in a gospel-centered community is, is that we get to come to a table together that no matter what color you are, you are not less than another. 
In the world, you may be the minority. In the world, you may be on the outside. In the world, you may be uh, 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 not in the privileged section of the culture. But when you come and sit at the table, you get to, to be a brother and a sister. We're made one. Poor and rich come and sit at the table together. And what happens at that table is those who are poor, those who every other place in society are told that because they don't have enough money and they don't make enough money and they don't have all the things that, they, that they're not less in, and then you get to tell the rich because you think you're comfortable and everything's good and all the things, you get to say, you are a brother and a sister. What it does is it brings the table and we all become one in Christ. But just because we are all one in Christ, male, female, rich, poor, all nations, doesn't mean that you pastor those people the same way. That's why I want us to read 1 Timothy, because here is a burden of pastoring a diverse community. There's a massive burden to pastoring those who are both rich and poor. Because although we are one in Christ, we are all facing different dangers. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, if you could read that, basically he's speaking to the slave. He's speaking to the one who is the outcast, speaking to the poor, the one who has a master, if you will. What he says to him in this place is, listen, let all who are under this yoke of bondservant regarding their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God teaching them may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good services are believers and beloved. Here's what he's saying. Look, if you're serving someone who, who is rich or someone who owns a business or whatever that may be, and, and they are now in this context, if you're serving them, here's how you need to see them. Serve them as if you're serving God and serve them as if you're serving your brother. You are not less than them because they make more or because they have certain status. You are not less than them. So the pastoring to the poor in this or the pastoring to the marginalized is continually telling them, do not think less of yourself. Everything around you tells you you're less. Everything around you tells you you're beneath. Everything around you tells you you're on the margins. But in the kingdom of God, you are a brother. You are a sister. You are family. Rise up. Come into. Step to the table. Be a part of. We need you. That's good news to the poor. But good news to the rich sounds a lot different. Here's what good news to the rich is. The very next verses 
teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching according with godliness, he is puffed up and conceited and understands nothing. He is unhealthy cravings for controversy and quarrels and words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are deprived in mind and deprived of truth, imagining... That godliness is a means of gain. Here's how he's going to pastor the rich. He gets not step up, but watch out. Because you are entering into heresy and fights and quarrels over this reality that you think godliness is a means of you getting more. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For you were brought into this world with nothing and cannot take anything out of this world. But if you have food and clothing and these, you should be content. But those who desire to do rich, uh, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into snares, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it is through these cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and their and have been pierced themselves with many pangs. Here's what he's saying. You are messing with dangerous things, that there are many people who have walked away from the faith and their conscience has been hardened and they want nothing to do with God because what they want is money. The gospel to the poor says, step up, you're a brother. The gospel to the rich says, watch out! Many people have walked away from the faith. Many people have sued their brothers and sisters and, and caused fights and quarrels and gone after and caused dissension. Many people have not served God because they love him, but because they want more. Many people are living lives where they're not content. And many people are tempted and running towards ruin and destruction and money, the love of money has caused all kinds of evil. Our problem in America is we don't hear sermons like this. We don't hear sermons like this. The warning of greed the warning of many of us are so concerned about dishonoring God and not sinning against Him, but have zero concern that we have actually disowned Him and do not even worship Him, but worship a whole other God. This, my friends, is why the prosperity gospel, why any gospel that preaches anything other than godliness with contentment, any gospel that puts the rich at the center, any gospel that puts his wealth as the 
apex of blessing is a heresy and a false gospel that is leading many people away and causing them to disown. And they are sitting there screaming at these, come into the church, come sit at the table, come be amongst, come watch, sit amongst brothers. Don't allow your wealth to seduce you. Most of, most of Scripture has this bias towards, if you will, an obvious bias towards using the poor, the uneducated, the weak, the vulnerable as the examples and using the rich and powerful as the ones who need to learn. Does that sound like the American church? The women, the, the woman who gave just her last might versus the ones who just gave out of their example of generosity. Sitting at the table, Jesus in Luke chapter 7 is sitting at the table with a Pharisee rich and powerful and a woman comes, falls at his feet, crying, using her tears. The scriptures say that Jesus turns his back on the Pharisee and looks into the eyes of the woman. He rebukes the Pharisee, gazes into the eyes of the woman, and uses this woman to teach the Pharisee what true kingdom life is like. Listen, the beauty of being in and a part of the family of God is that we are all one. But there are some of us in this room, including myself, who need to pray, Lord, don't let me dishonor you. But equally pray, Lord, don't let me disown you. And should have a healthy, hear me on this, a healthy respect for the power of money. Hear me on this. Somebody asked me, hey, what do you think of alcohol? Is, that, is drinking good or bad? Is it sin or not sin? Well, what do you, what do you let's talk. I'm not going to give you an easy answer. Let's chat. Scripture does not make clear on whether it's sin. It does say don't be drunk with wine. It says all these kinds of things. But let me ask you a question. Do you understand the power of alcohol? Do you understand that many people under the guidelines of I'm not breaking God's law have become consumed and drunk and have been overwhelmed by alcohol and their whole lives have been consumed? Do you understand the power of it? Because if you're going to drink it, drink it with respect. Like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Have money. Money, having money, I don't care how much money you make, that's, that's not even the issue. Go, go ahead, have it as the Lord gives it to you, take it, go ahead. 
but you better understand its power and its seduction. And you better understand that the category that you have now moved into is one of being pastored and being warned. Because every place in your life, money whispers into your ear some lies. So the last few minutes, I want to take and just kind of pastor and give wisdom to the rich. Remember, I'm putting myself in that category. First would be this. Pray. Prayer is not a practice of the rich because they don't think they need anything. Pray. Pray for contentment. Pray like Solomon. Remember, he's filthy rich. Pray for contentment. Pray that you would understand deeply that godliness with contentment is great gain. Pray that you would say, don't give me too much, God. Don't, don't give me too much that I may not disown you. Pray, because this causes, if you're going to have wealth, you need to be close to the Father. Understand that it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Pray. It's not impossible, but it's hard. Because everything in my world, here, let me try to give you context for me. Over my life, from the time I was young, I started here, just started from the bottom, now you're here, right? I've gone this way. Every year, ups and downs, but I make far more than I did when I first started. I've grown in the business world. I've gotten opportunities that most people don't get. And as I've gotten to this place, here's what I've realized in me. The bigger my paychecks are, the more I want. It's never enough. I always have things that I wish I had. I always look over. I was talking to a brother after church, and he said, after that sermon, I was walking up the, the center aisle to get communion and just convicted of my greed. And I looked down while I was praying, and I saw somebody's blue Adidas and said, man, I wish I had those. I should go pick those up. And I said, man, that's the best practical illustration that in the moments of that, no matter what you have, you are consumed with what you don't have. And unless you build a habit of prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day. Make me dependent. Because everything in me wants to be dependent on myself. Man, I earn my own money. This is all mine. I've got this. I'll spend it. Give me this day. Make me dependent on your daily bread. And deliver me from evil. Keep me from the temptation. Could, could I just help you with this? The things that might be killing you are not the things that are trying to beat you up, but the things that are trying to seduce you away. 
You are constantly worried about the sin that's trying to beat you down. And you'd missed the fact that something has allured you away. And you don't even want him anymore. The realities of this pull us into the prayer of contentment. The thing that could be more dangerous is all that I have, not what I don't have. Don't be arrogant. 1 Timothy 6, 17, read this with me, just so you can see how they pastored the rich. Did not say, hear me on this, the love of money, the root of all evil, so don't have money. Never once did it say that. If we know anything about money, we understand this. As for the rich in this present age, here's your charge. Don't be arrogant. Don't be haughty. And don't set your hopes on the uncertainties of riches, but on God who richly provides everything you enjoy. Remember he said earlier, you didn't come in, you came into this world naked, you're leaving this world naked. You own nothing. In order for us to understand that you should not be arrogant, here's what you must understand if you're going to have riches, is that arrogance is rooted in this reality, I earned this. I worked hard, I got myself to this place, I went through the education, I did all the practical steps, I got, this is my money. And once you start believing this is yours, you have put yourself in possession, something that is actually possessing you. The reality of this is when we have a biblical understanding of money, we understand this, I own nothing. All of this is God's. And if he gives me more, it's all his. He's entrusting me with more. All of it has been richly provided to me. Then it says this. Get involved with a community. If you're rich, if you have any sort of riches, if you're seduced by riches, make sure you're in community with rich, poor, young, old, all make, make sure you're in a diverse community, an uncomfortable community, meaning this, as a rich man, the worst thing I can do is put myself constantly around people who will look up to me because of what I have. In every area of life, people go, wow, look at this, look at that, look what you did here, look at this. Every area of life, I'm being respected and, and looked up to because of it. I need to enter into a place where I am just a brother, where I see the needs and the worries and the cares of those who are sitting at the table with me, where I'm constantly confronted with all that I have belongs to the Lord, where I am constantly being called to not be arrogant and not lift myself up because of what I have. I need to be in an uncomfortable community so that I don't get swept away. One of the gravest dangers in the church in America is we have churches built on economic classes. Rich churches, poor churches, middle-class churches. That some of the divides in our nation that are racial, that are, are 
gender, these, all these divides that are there are driven even deeper and in some ways driven so far deep when you start looking that money is at the root of a lot of this. The rich go to church with the rich and to be told, be comfortable, be comfortable, be comfortable. Make more. We need to be at the table Sitting with, learning from, engaging with, talking with, being in family with, caring for the needs of our family, having to be in a place where we care for others' needs more than we care for our own. Lastly, look at what it says in verse 18. They are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as good foundation for the future so that they may not take hold, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Here's what it says to us who are rich. It says this, generosity is the weapon that God has given you to make war against greed. The Christian does not see money as their own. And when they are given it, they don't see it as a source of blessing for them personally. But when God gives us wealth or gives us blessing, it is for the blessing of others. That all that God has given to us, we are blessed to be a blessing, that we are called to be a generous people, radically generous, giving that he would call us to give in such a way that we would see the needs of others, that those blessings would be passed through us so that as we enter in, that God would use us to steward what he has so generously given to us. God is not against money. Especially when it is a powerful tool that God uses to bless, God uses to care, God uses that to, to, to really show his, his work and his power. God uses it. Money can be an incredible tool but it is a horrible master. And the only way we will learn to live like this is when we meditate like we are over the Advent series on 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll be talking about this a lot. So, Where he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, through, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might be rich. That the reality of the reason why rich and poor can come and sit at the table and drink of a cup together and not go, they're better than me, or not go, they're less than me, is because we have all found what true riches are. We have all found that true riches are only found in Christ.
that the only place we're going to find who we are and who, what our value is and the only place we are going to see is, is where we find truly life. That last line, a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is an interesting spot, and I, I want you to hear this because as we come to the table, here's what I would say. For those of you who are poor and outcast and marginalized, and the world does everything to push you down and to keep you out, and you feel that, come step up to the table. You are a brother and sister. Christ has done the work in you that you would in him find that you are his precious child. For those of us, the best news for me is to say, Aaron, you don't own anything. Your value is not in how much you make or how much you don't make. Your value is not in how much you have or all the things that you want. Your value is not how what you've climbed or where you at. Humble yourself, Aaron. Humble yourself and find true life. Come sit at the table and find true life that only in Christ. So some of us may come to the table and step up and others may come to the table and have to humble ourselves. But this is true life. So today before you come to the table, I pray for some of us in this room that God would show us the ways we have disowned and walked away and said, I got it, I don't need you, God. Maybe you've been pursuing money, going after your own greed, your own selfishness. You have walked away. You've disowned. The only way back is through breaking humility and humbling yourself. Seeing that you have chased after false gods. For some, you have been thinking, and I just don't know who I am, and God's saying, come step up. Find true riches. But take a moment, pray, repent. Let God show you your worth, your value. Let him show you true life, and then the tables are open for all, for all who come and realize that this is where true life is found. was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.